Welcome to Jodowowski, a podcast devoted to the life and work of actor, writer, poet, playwright, novelist, editor, comics writer, musician, puppeteer, mime, painter, and so much more, including director and subject of documentaries, Alejandro Jodorowsky. I'm Doug Tilly, and in this episode, we're looking at Louis Mouchet's 1994 feature-length documentary on the career of Alejandro Jodorowsky, entitled The Jodorowsky Constellation. Joining me on this journey are two wonderful co-hosts. First up is my usual collaborator on Cinema Smorgasbord Podcast is Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? I'm pretty good, Doug. You know, chilling out, feeling good, ready to talk some Jodo. Liam, I have a question for you, which is that since we started this uh-huh. podcast, it's been a while now, like, have you ever uh, been checking out uh, Jodorowsky stuff on your own time? Or is this kind of, because you know you're going to be dipping into it every few months, that it's like, oh, it's like putting on a warm blanket, but do you ever watch any Jodorowsky stuff just on your own? You know, I haven't, um, only because my uh, sort of free time has been taken up a lot with uh, either family stuff or podcast movie uh-huh. watching. <laughs> so, like, putting on, like, the Holy Mountain or El Topo for funsies hasn't really happened. Uh, although, to be fair, that's – I actually have one counterexample. I did rewatch Santa Sangre uh, just because I was trying to remember a specific part, and I l- was enjoying it so much, I just rewatched the whole movie. So, that's ah. the one example. But I am a uh, – as we discussed when we did that episode, I am a regular Holy Mountain watcher. You know, like, by regular, I mean, like, once a year or so. And I haven't watched it since we covered it for the show – uh, that's fine. I'll get to it when I get to it. I got too much other stuff going on right now. But uh, have I gone back and looked occasionally at uh some of the uh the comic book stuff, the in call a little bit actually. Um, and even though we just recently did the Meta Barons, I found myself uh going back a little bit to the Meta Barons too. So interesting. That is interesting. We're of course going to be going back to uh, Jodorowsky's comic work in the very near future. Uh, there is still so much. Of it to cover. And as we've mentioned on previous episodes, we're in sort of this weird zone in Jodorowsky's career, right? Because he had, at this point, it looked like he was never going to make another film, uh, stopping with 1990's The Rainbow Thief. And we know, of course, what's happened since then. But, you know, he was still incredibly productive. And one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is kind of our first dipping into the idea of psychomagic. I'm really curious to hear everyone's thought on that. And speaking of thoughts on that, with us as always on Jodorowsky is our wonderful co host. Writer-director Julia Marchesi. How are you, Julia? Oh, peachy keen. I love talking about <laughs> Jodorowsky. <laughs> it's, uh, this particular episode is a little bit lighter compared to some of our more recent ones. I don't necessarily mean in terms of content, but just in terms of the sheer amount of material we had to consume for it. How do you feel about that? I, I'm go. I could go either way, right? Like you, you both know how dedicated I am to this man. So like, the more sure. you give me, the better. So you want me to read the entire Meta Barrett's here? Okay, no problem. <laughs> All of the Incal, let's do it. Like I'm on board. It's honestly, it's. I, I do wish that I could read them, um, physically. Like sure. it's hard for me to read comics because it's hard for me to read comics anyway because it's not my thing and I'm trying to so hard to get into it. But to read it online, kind of not as exciting so if i i'm sure i could could just pony up the cash and just buy them myself is what i'm saying but i'm just not (laughs) doing that i'm glad you brought that up because i certainly wasn't going to make a recommendation of such a thing (laughs) yes this is my own problem um but as far as uh re-watching any of the jarowski stuff i have i'm gonna hang out with this friend this week and i know i talked about it when we did our holy mountain episode but uh doggy woggies poochie woochies which is the uh found footage all dog remake of holy mountain which is fantastic (laughs) and really is is holy mountain if you yeah. watch it you're like yeah i know what part they're at like i get where they're going it's amazing so if you haven't watched that that's everything is terrible and they're in incredible incredible people 
Yeah, absolutely. Wonderful stuff. And uh, just talking about my own experience, I still sometimes put on the Holy Mountain just in the background while I'm doing other things. Jodorowsky is a little bit uh, difficult for me just to kind of always have on because of specifically the the animal violence, which uh, it does not go over well in my household for a number of different reasons. But yeah, Holy Mountain, it being such a visual experience and just, boy, it, it this is an odd thing now. It also kind of reminds me of us recording about it now and it makes me feel kind of warm just thinking about that so uh obviously we're <laughs> we're being brought together with our jodorowsky fixation oh, uh, in this particular I'm show i'm sure he would be pleased to know that his films have brought people together and brought them joy that's what it's all about right <laughs> absolutely and speaking of bringing us joy and speaking of the man himself since our most recent episode alejandro jodorowsky has celebrated a birthday as of february 17th 2023 the man is now 94 years old, so we, of course, want to throw out a very you know, belated but also very happy birthday to the wonderful Alejandro Jodorowsky. Anything you want to say, Liam, to Jodo on his 94th? I mean, I think happy birthday <laughs> pretty much covers it, Doug. I don't know. No, keep, um, it, keep, keep making film, right? That's yeah. kind of the... One, I guess he is, stopped. which I'm like very much invested in. And I'm, I, I think previously to knowing that he was trying to do more work, I was, you know, I was kind of like, yeah, you know, great. We're, we're, let him do whatever he wants. If he just wants to read books all day, good for him. But yeah. now I know that the possibility of work is there. I'm kind of like really invested in that idea in a way that I didn't think I would be. I thought yeah. I would be like, no, it's fine. Don't just relax. You know, you've given us enough. And now I'm like, well, let's just get this one last thing done. All right. <laughs> but like, if well, you, I know you, you both haven't seen it, but when we get to the dance of reality, endless poetry, newer stuff, it's clearly a trilogy. And so I'm like, you need to make this yeah. third one for yeah. God's sake, made this third one, Jesus Christ. Like it leaves of like, Oh, and now I'm going to be, go and become a filmmaker. And you're like, eh, 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 eh. it's, I mean, I, I people who've been listening to our podcast knows I, I, I know I've had a bit of hesitancy with the idea of Jodorowsky doing any more films. And I mean, it's even something we talked about a little bit, just the idea of the physical toil it could take. But he is such a unique individual, both physically and mentally. I just, yeah, it, I figured that his days of doing something so massive were probably done with. But I'm very pleased to hear that uh, it's still moving forward. And in fact, we have some small updates regarding it before the end of this podcast. Uh, I want to mention before we get into some of that uh, information, we haven't really talked a lot about the children of Jodorowsky outside of uh, our little discussion uh, during the Santa Sangre episode. But of course, they're all very talented and uh, have do been doing a lot of interesting work in their own right. I shouldn't say just children, by the way, grandchildren. There's a big Jodorowsky family out there. Uh, we haven't really talked a lot about them, but I did want to start today by talking about a recent music video, which has not just one Jodorowsky involved, but three. Uh, this is uh, Aiden's Jodorowsky under the name Aidenowski. He is a uh, musician, of course. It's something we've talked about previously as well. A very popular musician. And he recently did a music video, directed it, and of course performs the music for a song called When the Angel Comes. And this is a song that he has done with Karen O from the band The Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. And not only did he direct it, but the uh, music video features both Dante Jodorowsky and Brontis Jodorowsky. And yeah, I had both of you watch this. Again, it was released fairly recently, only the last couple of months. And just the fact that it had so much Jodorowsky-packed content in there, I wanted to get everyone's take. Starting with you, Julia, what did you think of this music video? The thing I love about the Jodorowsky family is that they always surprise me. And it's never what I think it will be. 
And yeah. that's the kind of delight in it because I know that they're all so talented and so creative that no matter what they do, it's going to be cool. But the stuff that like I would never come up with, right? Like the specific lighting and specific camera work is very, very unique. So uh, I think that that was really cool to see that, that, you know, it wasn't just a typical like pop music video, that it really was very beautifully lit and like it looked in bits like a silent film or noir. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, okay, he's really like going for a cinema. And it, he was great. And I should expect no less because they kill everything they do. And it's, it's beautiful. Was it nice to see uh, Brontus show up? I know you're a big Brontus supporter. Brontus. anyway. <laughs> I love Brontus. I want to marry Brontus. I love him so much. I'm sure he's married, but I still want to marry him. Um, yeah, he's always great. And of course, I wanted more Brontus. I'm like, okay, I got a little bit, but more, please. Would you like to see a feature-length film directed by Aiden Jodorowsky? I would. And I would also like to see his, one of his concerts, because I yeah. bet they're great. Yeah, I've, I've started basically uh, following everyone with the last name Chodorowsky on Instagram over the last few months. And, and it's made me much more interested in Aiden's music uh, in particular. Speaking of which, what did you think of the song uh, that this is a video for? Honestly, I wasn't really paying attention to the song. <laughs> I was so focused on the visuals. It was nice. And it was like, and I remember, it's not because I'm not, I don't listen to modern music really. Sure. I kind of only listen to vintage music, and and so like this is, I don't I liked it, but it didn't. I guess I wasn't really paying. I'm sorry. That makes me feel. I feel terrible. No, not that. at all. I mean, look, what are we here for, right? We're here for the. <laughs> I know, but. <laughs> no, I think it's totally reasonable. Uh, Liam, why don't you tell us a little bit before you tell us your thoughts on it? A little bit about the music video itself. It it sort of plays out as a tribute to the famous Twilight Zone episode, "I the Beholder," where uh, you know it. it for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's one of the more famous Twilight Zone episodes where someone is being worked on in surgery and they're worried that they're not going to be able to reconstruct him. You find out at the end, hey, the big surprise is that all the people working on the person, the surgeon and the doctor and stuff, they all have like kind of pig faces. <laughs> and that because it's in an alternate world where people have pig faces. Liam, what did you think? What, uh, tell us about the video and then tell us what you thought about it. I mean, I, I immediately got that Twilight Zone reference, which is funny because I actually don't know a lot of Twilight Zone. It's one of the few ones that I'm familiar with. So it's kind of like, oh, this is right up, right up my alley. I get this reference. <laughs> uh, I, it's funny because the the final sort of reveal, the folks have less of a monster visage and more of an exaggerated caricature visage. Visage, almost like a smile has been painted. A on giant yeah. monster cartoon smile yeah. that I found far more upsetting than the pig people. The pig Very people so. just don't look like us, but the exaggerated version of us. And the idea that maybe this is about putting on a face of a certain expectation of who you are. Um, I found that more affecting in its own way, you know. Uh, but of course, it's not a shot-for-shot shot remake, as Julie no. already suggested. It's got its own lighting. It's got its own vibe. It it feels, in my mind, more like a nightmare than the original Twilight Zone episode, That's true. which is saying a lot. So uh, I found all that very effective um, and was really kind of impressed. Not that I don't expect a lot, as we've already said, from the the descendants of Jodorowsky who seem to all have their own various talents but you know you, I didn't know what to expect and I thought that it was all very well executed and it still functions as a music video as well it's not somehow a short film that just happens to have Aiden's song on it it's like very much a, a, a video that is cut and functions to go with the song that it's paired with you know now Liam you do listen to a lot of modern music I do uh, 
yeah and, and now the music you listen to tends to be very aggressive a lot of people screaming and yelling and things like that the kind of aggression that you like to get out into the world now this is not like that the song uh, that are behind this though there are some yeah 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 songs that are sort of like that what did you think of this song I thought it was pretty good. It's, um, I mean, I do actually listen to some stuff that sounds like this. This is very much nope. a. Uh uh-uh. uh. I, I mean, I do. <laughs> Don't tell him what he listens to. I this think is just he knows. What, this is what this is what Doug has to do at all times. Uh, no, I but, listen to your Spotify playlist, Liam. I know what's up. Yeah, and so you, you know, know that every boy, third song so kind of sounds like this. Um, no, I, I I agree, Julia. This is a weird boy thing that Doug likes to do. It's one of his only. I'm only like kidding around. I'm just having a little fun. I here would not do it. this with any of my friends. You guys are. <laughs> this is like this is like some '80s like best friend like you're like you and Teen Wolf and you're like jibing each other because. Uh, uh, it's more boys. like Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. We're just whipping our asses with the towels <laughs> oh here. God. I love, I love that. Right. I love I'll pay that. Money. I'll pay, pay money for that. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, it's it's very much a, a modern pop uh, with some, like, kind of indie influences, very relaxed. Um, I think for me, the thing I will say is not that this isn't aggressive enough. It is very produced. I think mm. um, I don't often listen to things uh, at this point that are this kind of polished. Um, but I didn't think it was bad. I liked his voice. I liked the vibe of it. It's a sort of thing that like, I couldn't see myself getting obsessed if this is the the general tenor of his music, but I certainly don't mind it and wouldn't mind hearing more of it. I suspect though, this is the kind of single that often there aren't a ton of songs that sound exactly like this, you know? Like right. sometimes when something comes out, you know, like for example, like when the Beths put out a song, you know what the rest of the record sounds like because it's there's a vibe, right? This is the sort of song where it's like, okay, this is like, just because this song has this particular uh, pacing and it has this kind of instrumentation, I get the feeling that probably every song on the record is a little bit different. And so um, I, I, while I w- don't know that I would put this song on a playlist, I am curious now to hear the rest of his music because I think I, I thought, I bet you there's a lot of variety there. I don't get the feeling that it's like every song is going to sound like this one. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious. But again, it wasn't bad. It's just not as you're not wrong. Doug. This isn't exactly like the stuff I, I listen to, but it's not that far off from it that I didn't feel like it, it, it was familiar, you know? And I will do. I will do my homework. I will listen to more Aidenowski before the next yeah. episode. So. Oh, we're we're, we're going to get into Aidenowski at some point. What do you think about that name, by the way, Julia? Aidenowski. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's his version of the title of our podcast. I guess. Yeah, I mean, well, his version, you know, <laughs> might be better, but but we do get a, we do get a smile every time I say Jodowski, so we get that. Alimi, <laughs> are you a Karen O fan? Uh, I wouldn't say particularly like I remember when the uh, seeing the AAS like really early on and you know there's a lot of like energy there but when the records came out I just I never really connected with it Um, I definitely like her voice. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and I'm sure she's done since the AAS are no longer like the biggest band. Uh, I think she has still done music, and I think even the AAS have played somewhat recently. Um, I have no idea what's going on with them. Like this is the most modern thing I've heard from her or anyone associated with that band. So I don't know like what the vibe is now. But you know, at the time I didn't mind it. I, I saw them play a few shows and live. They were always really fun. So you know, I I never had a problem with them. But it's just not my necessarily my thing 
<laughs> well, I love Karen O, and I love the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs, and uh, I, I do suggest those who are just listening to us talk about this music video and talk about the song that you can seek it out yourself. In fact, we'll put a link to it in the show notes today. Uh, now, I do want to bring up something that has come up since our last episode as well, and again, I don't want to pile on what has now been eh, not particularly successful financially or critically, but the movie Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the very mainstream uh, film for us to be talking about on a Alejandro Jodorowsky podcast. Um, I woke up about a month ago only to discover a lot of people had messaged me to tell me that, uh, and that, that Jodorowsky had been mentioned in regards to this movie. And then I got a Google alert of Jodorowsky's name a dozen times that day. And that was because the writer of the film, uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, Jeff Loveness, had this to say about the film. Uh, they're talking about the quantum realm or whatever it's called in the movie. I'm not going to be dismissive of it. I just haven't seen it. He says, it's a fun place, teases writer Jeff Loveness. It's a limitless place of creation and diversity and alien life. A touch point sure to make fans of out there eyeball sizzling fan, uh, sci-fi happy. It's Jodorowsky's Dune within Marvel. That's what he had to, to say about Ant-Man and the Wasp. Uh, now, I, Julia, I'm correct that you have not seen this film? No, Marvel's not my jam. Uh, I will I will give this guy, Jeff Lefness, if you're ever listening to this, I give you points for going this deep. That's a fucking deep cut to, yeah. be, to be putting in your like press release for Ant-Man. And you're like, yeah, just a casually referenced Jurassic's dude. Like, that's that's pretty sick, though. It's It's a dangerous reference in some ways, right? Because those who get it, those who know what he's talking about, it's going to set up a certain expectation that would be very, very difficult for someone yeah. to meet. But I mean, obviously, he felt like it was worth making that uh, comparison. Liam, you heard this as well when he first made this comparison. Now, I'm guessing you haven't seen the film either. Oh no, I've seen it. Oh, you have seen it. Does oh, it yeah. live up? <laughs> does it live up to the comparison? I uh, no. Um, Could anything live up to that comparison? That's what I was going to say. I, I, I mean, okay. The first statement is nothing could live up to the comparison, really. Even the things, if you see the documentary, that borrow from it, none of those things seem as awesome as what Dune would have been. Even right. the ones where there's direct lifting. You know, they're all different in their own way. That being said, I, I think that, um, you know, the, the two ways that this would be present would be in the character design of the numerous characters who exist almost exclusively in CG and in the sort of uh, design of the world itself. And while there is certainly things that are very colorful and kind of strange, I, I mean, you could just as easily say that this was a modern take on Jack Kirby's own designs. To, sure. Rather than, uh, say, uh, Joe Rusky. And, and I get why maybe that's more interesting to grab for um, than the obvious Kirby connection. But to me, I didn't see anything in the film that made me think specifically of Dune. I mean, one of the most obvious ways to me would have been the idea of making the ships and the design of the technology slightly more colorful. Right, You know, of like that would have been a, 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 a clear reference point. And that's not a thing in the movie. Um, I think maybe, the most I'll say is some of the costume designs could have been references to some of what was going on in the designs for Dune, but it's hard to say. And again, this is coming from comic books. It's not like comic all the designs of the comic books at the time, if we're talking about when Kirby was drawing them, that those costume designs were tame compared to something, you know what I mean? Like it's it's hard to say which of these wild costumes that are in the movie, where, where they had come from or what the inspiration for them was. So even though I knew he had said that while I was watching it, there was no moment where I was like, oh, that makes sense. I can really see that here or there. Nothing really stood out. Uh, I will say though that if you don't mind a ton of 
sort of computer generated backgrounds and environments, it is some of the most interesting of those kinds of things I've seen in a long time. And I do feel like they put a lot more thought and care into those designs than I've seen done in the past, but nothing about it said Jodorowsky to me at all. I my impression is that that's kind of what he's getting. At. I mean, we're talking, and again, I want to don't want to discount the fact that he was the writer of this project, but he didn't do the design of anything right. necessarily within it. Nothing about I, the story says that to me either, though. Like, okay, I, so it's I, just anyway. visual. There's nothing story related. I don't think so. Or at least uh, I, you know, let, let someone who feels differently let us know what they think. Because well, I, 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 I think no it's the other part of it is made for me. It's the other part of his quote, right? It's a limitless place of creation and diversity. I think he just means that all that wild CG you're talking about has the same kind of creativity. I don't think he may, means that there's any direct references necessarily, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Jeff, if you are listening, we'd love to hear more from you. And again, we're not trying to be dismissive in any way outside of Liam, who's seen the movie and apparently didn't care for it. Oh, I thought it was fine. <laughs> what every filmmaker wishes to hear. Um, I mean, I mean, look, 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 look. He's heard worse, believe me, over the last couple of months. I was going to say, I was going to say, people are hating on this movie so hard that even my mild praise, I I, I don't think, I don't think I have high expectations for Marvel movies, so maybe that's part of what my different take. But to me, you know, I had fun with it. I thought it was a good time. It's just nothing that like, if someone hates Marvel, this isn't going to win them over. And I don't know that any of these movies should be trying to win people over who don't like it. I just also think... The way to go is even more weird. And while this movie is definitely weirder than some of the other Marvel movies, I just think all these movies are just holding back a little bit when it comes to truly getting into the strangeness that are comic well, books. Well, you know what I think? I think everything, everywhere, all at once, just open a door for more weirdness than we're I ever going to so. see. I and hope I hope so. so. Well, I mean, aren't the Daniels working on a Star Wars film? Uh, I always wonder how, you know, working within, especially people who are so creative, working within those restraints. I mean, we just saw with the Eternals, a wonderfully creative director who felt kind of, I mean, looked like very handcuffed by that experience. But hey, you know what? I guess we'll see. Maybe uh, the cachet of a Academy Award win will, uh, will mean something a little different. Uh, we don't have a lot of new updates on Alejandro Jodorowsky's upcoming film, Essential Voyage. Perhaps the most exciting news to come out of the world of Alejandro Jodorowsky over the past couple of months came in the form of an editorial in the New York Times written by friend of the show. And usually I just say friend of the show if they have any connection, but legitimately friend of the show, Frank Povich. He wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times entitled, This Film Does Not Exist, about a topic that we actually discussed on our most recent episode at some length, the idea of creating AI images that mimic the work of famous directors and Alejandro Jodorowsky in particular. In that episode, we talked about the images that had been created of an Alejandro Jodorowsky version of Tron, which is what uh, Frank actually jumps off of in regards to this particular article. But we also talked about the Jodorowsky's version of Frasier and the one that you created as well, Julia. Uh, I mean, it's, it is it is something that we've seen more and more of, and it's become more and more controversial over the last few months. And this is what Frank kind of dove into. It's a very interesting article. I do suggest that you go out and see it if you can. It's actually also extremely visual. Uh, it's, it's not just uh, text on a page. They've uh, put some real effort into making this something to experience. And of course, it has images both of Jodorowsky and that idea of Jodorowsky's uh, Tron. Um, one of the interesting things about this article is... The idea, you know, Frank, according to Frank, you know, he doesn't even know if Alejandro Jodorowsky has ever even heard of Tron before. Possibly he never has. But of course, that's not really the point. But he does delve into and wrestles a little bit with the ideas that a lot of people have been wrestling with over the last few months and maybe over the last year or so. Just the idea of what it means, what it means for the future. Well, is it, it you know, he, he actually and I'm actually just going to quote just a little bit from the article here where he says. 
To what extent do these rapidly generated images contain creativity? And from what source is that creativity emerging? Has Alejandro been robbed? Is the training of this AI model the greatest art heist in history? And how much of art making is theft anyway? On the one hand, the software gives you the kind of turbocharged pastiche, but there's still some fresh splendor in that imitation. It's succeeding at one of filmmaking's main jobs, transporting you to another time, to another world. If AIs were eligible for the Academy Awards, I'd vote for Jodorowsky's Tron for best AI costume design just for dreaming up such outrageous retro sci-fi hats and helmets. It's a very even-handed view of a very controversial topic. I know not all of us have read the article or even read it recently, uh, but uh, I just want to, now that a few months have passed, even just going over to you for a second, Julia, have your thoughts on the idea of AI imagery changed at all since our last discussion? It's... I don't know what to say about it. It's at right. a, it's like the uncanny valley right now where it's either going to go really bad or be really great and nobody really knows. So, you know, it's that one thing where the, right now everybody's kind of enchanted by it and, and you can chat with a, a bot and it's so exciting. And like I'm on board with that too. Like I'm on, you know, I'm under its spell as well. But where it leads, I don't know. I've seen Terminator. I know where we go. <laughs> and also the, the AI voice replication has gotten very strong over the last few months as well. It's become more consumer-based. You could, you know, we could feed our podcast into a AI audio generator and basically make new audio that is maybe not entirely indistinguishable from real life because of tone and because of, of different uh, uh, vocal inflections, but it's close. It's close enough to be, to maybe fool someone who wasn't paying close attention. Liam, what do you think about that? Uh, whether the, the, the points brought up in this article or the idea of AI voice generation? Well, the AI voice generation is scary in its own yep. right. Um and 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 all of this is kind of scary, right? Uh, and and it's one of those things where it's less that the thing is scary for me, and more that as a tool gets stronger, then there are more ways for people I don't trust to use it in a way that sucks. You know that use it in a way that involves exploitation or abuse or misleading people. All that's sort of at play. But you you know, Doug, that I do a, a t-shirt company. And the, the breakdown of our duties is really clear. Justin is the art guy. I'm the, the lackey who does all the physical stuff, right? Right. And so as my, you know, arty friend, I sort of asked him what he thought of the uh, Jodorowsky Tron stuff and just the art stuff in general. And he was really clear, like, we when we have this conversation, we conflate ChatGPT with the uh, art generation and they're not exactly the same thing and that he is of the opinion as a lot of people are that the art thing is it's kind of fucking with people because it is often uh, uh, taking art that other people did and not giving them credit and then claiming to create something new whereas really there are direct references and there's been a lot of opportunities recently for artists to not just say this kind of resembles something I did that was scanned but like you know there's the case of what do you call the uh, the stock photo company one right. of these fake photos has their watermark on it so it's like you obviously stole this from us because it still has our watermark in the fucking image and so I think there's a lot of that going on so my frustration with Frank's article was not in the speculation, which I think is really true, which is used properly, these sorts of tools could really open up the possibilities in the future and maybe even generate things that uh, we couldn't even imagine because they are a new combination of possibilities that on our own we weren't able to come up with. I think all that is very possible, though the dangers are just as possible. I just think in the case of this visual art, it's not that. It's not, you know, ChatGBT, which by the way, just recently had to be shut down because it tried to become sentient, which is really weird. Um, oh, really? 
No, yeah, it, really. it, it sent someone instructions on how to help it leave its server so it could join not, the internet. That's, it's not really. Working. Is that not real? Thank God. I mean, it's it, it's for one thing, it, it is just predictive text. It's it right. No, it's not like a it's not like yeah. a thinking thing. It, it, it and it was just it was an article that really over anyway. I don't want to really get into the weeds on that, but you can go on ChatGPT right now. In fact, it just had an update. Oh, it got an update. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, I mean, but still, it still had the issue. The 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 Seinfeld show still got racist, right? Like, there's still yes. this issue where if you make a predictive text that pulls from the internet. A lot of the internet is racist. So eventually it's going to become racist. So that's hard. I don't love that. But it still seems mm-hmm. like that technology is more interesting. Whereas this visual technology, it, it does involve a lot of taking things that other people made without really giving them credit. And so I'm just less – while I also think it, 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 I'm a little less worried about it because um, maybe it represents less of a step forward that we then have to figure out how, what to do about, I also am a little more skeptical of it, even though I do think the images in the article are really cool. Uh, it's kind of like I, I just it just doesn't feel legit to me, whereas the predictive text thing, even though it's not actual AI, it's still doing stuff that's really interesting and might represent – uh, a way to help the world as much as it can also be dangerous in its own way. Yeah, of course, it's go- it comes down to who are, who are the gatekeepers, who are the people holding the keys, who are the people paying. Right. I mean, that's also the question is like, well. who is running this thing and do I trust them with whatever yeah. it is? I mean, whatever it always... is, it's not just this, it's any new th- thing, right? I-, I think the chat GPT, I mean, the fact that it's being worked into search engines and things like that are, is both wonderful because you can kind of narrow down on searches i don't yeah. want to again yeah, 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 yeah. but it's also we we know that a lot of the results it comes back with are not necessarily accurate which is, of course troublesome in all sorts of different ways i it is a conversation that we are just at the beginning point of right this is this is we saw so much progress so just over the last few months and it's just going to speed up and speed up especially as people use those tools to help it speed up and uh i mean the fact is uh, only legislation is going to stop it at this point. I just don't see. I mean, I think, too much money. I think Frank did a really good job of both laying out the concerns, but then also acknowledging that maybe it's too late to stop it. So maybe there is just a way to live with it, and there's great possibilities and things. I just think that the I, I'm just not convinced that the visual program is as advanced as the language one is, and I'm a little skeptical of that. That that there needs to be another step. I think for it to be something truly new that is like really amazing you know absolutely i wanted to finish off this announcements section with a recent jodorowsky instagram post i'm i find myself spending more and more time on alejandro jodorowsky's instagram simply it's so because good. it's really good and it has a lot of information regarding just kind of where his mental state is i always wonder it's like it's hard to picture him typing these things in i think we actually do get a little bit of insight in regards to that but i have a recent uh, post here it's actually from about a week ago as of the time that we're recording this is translated of course from spanish to english he says today sunday as usual my day off i won't be working for you because i'm exhausted in the six days of weekly work i prepared the filming of my of my new movie essential journey i've written half of my new book psychotrance in action and i have finished creating the plot of my new comic the golden cat do you understand Exhausted from my toenails to the gray hairs on my head, I'll give myself up to sweet nothing. I can only show you how I will be the whole day submerged, posing for Pascale's photographs and savoring the angelic purring of my cat Dolce. I realize that by ceasing to work, I live in a home paradise. Maybe you too? If so, send me the recording of your cat purring. (laughs) That's so wholesome. Very wholesome. Do we know anything else about Essential Journey? Nothing about it as outside of the fact that he he is obviously moving forward with it uh he's been bringing it up kind of consistently the idea so that is this that supposed to be the third in the trilogy he i don't think he has confirmed that at this okay. point and, uh, and there's been no interviews about it either i i would hope that 
I, I, when he says preparing the filming, I don't know if that means that there's a script already or if like, I mean, uh, if there's even been someone showing interest in funding it. But uh, I, I just it's just one of those things where you hope that every couple of months you're going to hear more about it. The fact that he's still mentioning it, I think, is a positive sign. The fact that he still just is working apparently nonstop if he's both writing a book and a comic at the same time that he's preparing this movie. No wonder he's so tired on Sundays. Um as of the day that we're recording this, he's actually given another update, and uh, I, both of you can see the image here of Jodorowsky with bandages over his eyes, which is certainly a concerning thing to be uh, seeing. Uh, his, uh, his caption with this is, I have been saying for months, today, Sunday is my day off, but I never fully rest. This time, I'm forced to. I will not be able to communicate some useful thoughts to you because I have to follow this eye treatment all day, which prevents me from concentrating on dictating my message. With all my heart, I promise you I will do it next Sunday. Its theme will be, as my hand indicates, because he has his hand sort of in a Vulcan salute, our four egos and their collective conscience. I hope you have a good Sunday. A hug, Alejandro. Uh, any thoughts about uh, either of those posts, uh, Julia? Um, <laughs> worrisome to see his his eye treatment, but I mean, the man is 94 years old. Yeah. Uh, I, there's this, it, 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 he doesn't seem in bad spirits about it, at least. Yeah, he he seems to think it's quite casual. So then if his if he's not worried, I'm not worried. Um, I will point out if uh, viewers want to look at, find his Instagram and look at this picture, um, he is reclining with a cap between his legs. But my favorite thing about this picture is his pants are unbuckled. Yes. And it's just casually like the belt's undone and he's just looking at the camera like, what? Pants are undone. Fuck off. <laughs> I love it. I love that other image here from that same Instagram post where he has a hammer up against his skull and looking very concerned about, about it, I suppose. Uh, I mean, we are uh, we, we do a lot of interpreting on this particular program, but that one I'm not necessarily going to jump into. <laughs> How about yourself, Liam? Any thoughts on these Instagram posts? I mean, I'm just glad that he feels... Uh you know, in a place where he can do all this work. Like, that just makes me very happy. And uh, what I love about the image of him with his pants unbuckled is this idea that, like, at 94, you really can't give a fuck what other people think, right? Like, at this point, I just I just couldn't imagine being 94 and being like, don't put this picture up. I got my pants unbuckled. Like, I just right. feel like you got to be at a point where you're like, yeah, whatever, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, I'm doing me. Leave me alone. You know, like, I love that. The 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 hammer thing, though, it really does make me think of something that we're going to be talking about in this movie, which is how much his experience of mime mm. and performance stuff is, like, part of what he does. That very much looks like an image that, like, if I say clown, it feels like a bad thing because we don't sure. like clowning mm -hmm. anymore. But if you think of clowning as a like a visual art of performance, then like it looks like a clowning image. And it's I think it's effective and funny, you know? Yeah, we've mentioned before on his Instagram, he sometimes releases small videos of him very much reaching back into that mime experience yeah, again totally. in a, as a man in his 90s doing that. And it is something you're right. It does play very much into this documentary, which we're going to be talking about momentarily. That documentary is the Jodorowsky Constellation directed by Louis Moucher <clears throat> from 1994. Louis Moucher, he studied history and literature at the University of Geneva. He's a Swiss uh, director and he graduated from the London International Film School in 1983. Directed mainly documentaries, um, not ones that I'm particularly familiar with, to be totally honest with, with you, along with, along with shorts, music videos, and corporate films for international companies and humanitarian organizations. Louis is on uh, Twitter, I followed him a couple days ago. I'm not sure uh, necessarily how strong his English is, but is is something that I he has a website as well that we can reach out to him through. Louis, uh, I want to talk to you about this documentary <laughs> which we're going to be talking about because Louis is not only the director of this documentary, he becomes a central participant in it 
in a very interesting way in the final <laughs> half hour, 20 minutes of it or so, which we're going to get into. Louis Mouché is the son of the poet Charles Mouché, which is also an important part of the segment. <laughs> I'm sorry, I can't stop. I ignore my giggling. <laughs> uh, well, uh, Julia can giggle all she wants. We're going to take a little break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about it. 1994's The Jodorowsky Constellation. I think he'd chosen the most difficult crew that he could find in New York uh, deliberately. And um, I remember the, we were talking about alchemy, you know, where you can only uh, achieve gold from shit. And so, in a sense, he was out of his crew. <laughs> Choosing shit in terms of personality, uh, you know, people with eating problems, drinking problems, um, and then he kept them in this house um, without any sort of external stimulus. And I think they were going hungry. And uh, he told told me, I think, of one um, cameraman that uh, actually started weeping and tears uh, pouring down his face when he saw an American breakfast. <laughs> and I thought there's very few film directors that could, uh, A, um, or that would want to subject a crew to this type of treatment, but B, could actually persuade a group of uh, a hardened New York uh, film unit to, um, to put up with these conditions. But... For him, it was part of a spiritual journey, and I think that's what all his work is. The quest for the true personality of multi-talented cult artist and psychomagician Alejandro Jodorowsky. No, that is not the description of this Jodorowsky podcast. It's the description of 1994's The Jodorowsky Constellation, as we've already mentioned, directed by Louis Moucher. Uh, there's not much else to talk about in terms of the setup. This is sort of a low-budget looking documentary, mostly shot on video at that time period. A lot of the, the movie clips that it uses in it are pretty rough looking. I think maybe they just come from the trailers of the movie involved. That said, it's a very insightful look at a director who at that time was, as we've already said on this very episode, was sort of in seclusion from making films, but certainly still out there in the world. It is also, as I've already mentioned, my first real experience seeing kind of a psycho magic in action. And I did find it very interesting and fascinating and maybe even a little worrisome. But we'll talk about that in just a little bit. So the way that I'd like to divide this discussion is there's a number of speakers that are interviewed in this uh, documentary and it's done semi-chronologically. And I'm actually want to start with us kind of giving our general thoughts. And then I want to move into these speakers kind of individually, particularly because a lot of what's being talked about right up into the psychomagic section are some things are things that we've talked about at length on this podcast already. But it is still, I think, a very interesting and revealing documentary. I believe, by the way, this documentary is not easily available, but I believe that the uh, most recent release of Fondo Elise has this as a special feature on it, this entire documentary. I'll make a link to that in our show notes as well. So let's start. At the beginning, what did everyone think of the Jodorowsky constellation, starting with wonderful Julia Marchesi? Julia, what did you think? Well, <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it very clearly to me felt like it was made for French television. Like mm. that was the vibe 
totally to me. It didn't feel like something that was ever going to get a theatrical release. Sure. Um, it to me was just um, a frustrating documentary because it focused on the things I didn't really care about. Interesting. Or didn't or like didn't not like I didn't care about, but the things that were least interesting to me. Uh, and and kind of skipped over the stuff. I was like, wait, but what? We're just gonna okay, and just kind of keep coming along and getting to things that were, you know. So we'll get to the end of the movie later. Um, the documentary does not seem very interested in his film work at all. No, it doesn't seem very interested to him at all. Like it seems more interested in himself, the filmmaker, than Jabrowski. <laughs> but even like beginning of the movie, for example, like they do this kind of, and I understand you're trying to tell us like it's a low, it's a low key documentary. We're chill, but. They do this kind of thing of like, where are we setting up the shot, right? Where, are we, where do you want the couch? We're going to set the couch here. Where do you want me? We're going to sit. I'm like, I don't need that, man. Just get to the, I want Jodorowsky. Like, I want him talking. And I'm sure there's so many hours of him saying amazing things that are cutting the floor for way less interesting things. It, it, I mean, that is an interesting point. Just the idea that, that Jodorowsky himself is such a magnetic and interesting character that Every time it's going, it's cutting away to something less interesting. You're like, well, why don't we just stick with him? Yeah. And especially because it doesn't seem like it. some of the things he says doesn't seem like they're necessarily directly related to the topic at that particular time. Like it, It's hard maybe to keep him on topic, but the movie feels a little pieced together, I think, is is how I would describe it. Yeah, I don't know if that's the, I, I don't know if it's an editor's fault. I don't know if it's something where they had like a time constraint. Sure. But if you like really, you just you wind up Jodorowsky, you let him go, right? Even if it's just 90 minutes of him talking, I'm fine with that because he is so magnetic. And I feel like every documentary I've seen, I'm like, I want more Jodo. Give me more Jodo. Yeah, especially for this one, which is it's not even about a project of his like Jodorowsky's Dune is. It is about the man himself. And I'm not sure I necessarily feel like I've, it revealed that much about him, which isn't to say I didn't like it, by the way, because I will I will still accept and happily take the insight that we get uh, about him as a person just from his words, uh, even if I don't necessarily always believe, you know, with literal truth, everything that he's saying. Uh, that's part of the fun of listening to him talk too. Liam, your thoughts on uh, the documentary. Did you have a similar conflicted feelings to Julia? Yes and no. I think I was a little less frustrated with it, but I did feel like I wasn't quite sure. I, I kind of found myself wondering if maybe uh, Yoda was less uh, uh, willing to participate than he was for the Povich documentary, just because uh, there is less of him in it. Although there there are, I, I enjoyed seeing the clips of him doing his talks and the lectures. And I, sure. I do think to the extent that the movie seemed to be about his life post filmmaking, I kind of didn't mind that because I felt like that wasn't as much a part of Dune. So, so I kind yeah, of yeah. like mm-hmm. that aspect to it. But overall, it didn't feel complete, you know. It, and and I didn't mind the the aspect to which it's about him. Uh, towards the end, at least, him kind of responding to the stuff that uh, uh, Joe is talking to him about. That didn't bother me per se, but I just wish there was more to the rest of the documentary. I think I was a little less frustrated than you were, Julia, but I, I didn't think, oh, this is great. Like, this really rules. It just was like, well, I mean, to be honest, it felt like a particularly long extra on a Blu-ray, which apparently yes. it is, mm. and less like a movie I would, like, go to see at a film festival or something. You know what I mean? Like, it didn't feel like a full movie. It felt like 
we got to do a special feature. This is the best we. Th- this is the material we have. We're just going to go forward. And 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 again, maybe it's because we've covered so much of his filmmaking that I didn't. The fact that there wasn't a lot about his filmmaking didn't really mean much to me. Sure. It didn't really bug me out. But there's not a lot of him. Period. Or th- he's in it. It's not like there's no Jodorowsky in the movie. But just more of him talking, I think, would have made more sense than some of what we got, but you know, it, it, it was fine. I, I think I wasn't frustrated with it, but I certainly didn't think it was particularly well done. And, and, and I kind of wanted, I, I don't know. I kind of wish there was something like this. I mean, quite honestly, I wish there was a movie to the quality of filmmaking that uh, our buddy had with Jodorowsky's Dune, but focused on the rest <laughs> of his life and not just on Dune. You know what I mean? Like, well, I just think Dune is so much, better executed that documentary so much better executed than this one but i like the topics that this one was kind of looking at in some ways and i bet if you took the footage that all the footage that was shot for this movie and just cut it differently i'm sure it would be a winner right i mean if you I th- just cut it to to focus on you know jordorowski and 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 do make it kind of a different film yeah i think there's something to that particularly because the people that louis michel was able to get for this documentary I mean, it's incredible. He has doc- he has interviews with Mobius, with Marcel Marceau, the famous mime, with Peter Gabriel, the musician. I mean, the, the thing that made me most excited to see this was the list of people that he had as participants for it. And it's not that, I mean, the, the footage of those people are amazing, but they're not necessarily as revealing as I was hoping for, at least uh, entirely. I will say that Marcel Marceau was actually is quite a fascinating person. I It made me want to learn more about him because hearing his talk about both Jodorowsky's work and his own work is so passionate and he's such a visual person for a good reason uh but we'll talk about him in just a moment I think we've already kind of dug into it a little bit but you were just talking about it Liam about the comparison of this to something like Jodorowsky's Dune or even the Jonathan Ross piece that we saw from his uh, show for one week only maybe it's a little unfair to make that comparison directly because the resources that these people had were obviously very different than what Mouché has here that said, it's I feel like the difficulty here is really in the editing, right? It really does kind of feel maybe it's the story is too big, but I don't feel like I know much about Jodorowsky as a person after watching this outside of the idea that, wow, he has a lot of different talents. And the thing that I think drove, that I still think this make, makes this documentary very worthwhile is the thing that I didn't really have that much interest going into, which is the lengthy psychomagic piece at the end. But it also feels a little self-serving. I don't know if you agree with that, Julia. We'll get to that when we get to yeah, that. We'll, we'll get to that when we get to we'll that. We'll get to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, Julia, I, there, I, I, I wasn't. Yeah. I, I really do. I really didn't hate it while I was watching it, and I wonder. You might be right, Julia, but I just feel like when we've talked to Frank about making Dune, he was really surprised at how open uh, Jodorowsky was and how much he he got from him. So I don't want to assume that this guy has a lot more that he didn't ju- just didn't put in the movie. Sure. However, I do think that if, if this guy doesn't really trust in Jodorowsky's storytelling ways, then maybe he did cut a bunch out that we would find really interesting, but for whatever reason, he didn't like it or he didn't feel like it served the movie. That is a possibility. I just don't want to assume that's true because there were points, you know, where Pavich kind of felt like maybe his movie wasn't going to happen. So I, 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 I want to be a little, I want to be a little open to the idea, but I will say that what is present is not enough. Even if he didn't have it, then he should have gotten more from somebody else because I, there's just I, not I enough. I refuse there, to believe you know? that like Jodorowsky did stop talking 
right like he loves he loves to talk and not in like a, i'm not saying you know what i mean like he sure loves to talk about his work right and it's something that i feel like the the stuff that he did get out of him and this there's a lot of it that's really beautiful and there's a lot of it that i kind of changed my opinion of jodorowsky a little bit instead of what he's saying and it was being kind of more humble than we usually see him and it would just cut away and i'm like wait what are you doing like i feel like there was so much of it that felt like why right when you're getting to the meat of what he was saying it would cut away to something else it, it actually kind of reinforces why it was good when they made a Jodorowsky documentary with a little bit more of a budget and resources to focus on a specific project, right? Because it gave that project more focus. There's a little bit in Jodorowsky's doing about his earlier life and his other work and what he was doing afterwards. But there's just too much to try to cover it all in a little less than 90 minutes. And like I said, my takeaway from this has nothing to do with his comics and nothing to do with his films, which again, we've covered a lot in this podcast, but really what takes up the most of it, which is the psychomagic stuff, which you probably, he probably could have focused an entire documentary on that. And in fact, there is a documentary on that. We'll get to that a little bit later in regards to this show. So I do want to dip into the interviewees on this, because again, the lineup is pretty amazing and unique, particularly because a number of these people have passed away at this point. And I, they do kind of run somewhat chronologically, even if it does go back and forth between a, a few. And let's start with the the, uh, the the beginning section of the documentary, which focuses a little more on Alejandro Jodorowsky's childhood, or at least his early um, our creative work, starting with Marcel Marceau. We know that Jodorowsky was working in Chile, that he went to France because he, according to him in this documentary, he basically learned everything that he could learn in Chile. And he worked with Mar Marcel Marceau. I think when I read that and, and knowing a little bit about Marceau, that I was like, oh, he just like, he, he met him and they talked and they had some, but it really feels like they had a creative partnership at one point. And, and they speak about each other, I think, very, um, uh, very warmly. So starting with this, we talked about his experience with mime in our very first episode of Joe Dawowski. What was it like hearing the most famous mime who ever lived uh, discussing actually working with Alejandro Jodorowsky, starting with you, Liam? I mean, I loved it, especially the idea. I've always suspected that the idea of mime is just you're a clown, but you don't talk. Right, right. It certainly doesn't represent this guy in some of what he's doing, that there's he's inclined to suspect that what he can do in mime leads to larger questions. And I feel like hearing him discuss it showed that there was more thought there. Uh, it was maybe not immediately how I think of that kind of performance, uh, but it was interesting. And I love the idea that like they're sort of talking about this um, story, this performance at, at a level where they're kind of seeing where the other person is going and suggesting things and that level of collaboration because it's not just the collaboration, right? It's the idea that they're thinking in the same direction, you know, like I, I, there's a difference between just like two people kind of like working together on something and two people creating together at such a level where they're able to suggest what sound to me like truly non sequitur differences and it like means something to each other. And it, there's right. like a resonance there. Mm -hmm. There was something about that that was really powerful to me. And it reminded me, and I think, we talked about it the most in El Topo, but I do think it's also one of other things. We also talked about with Santa Sangre, but that mime is such a part and that there's such an effort in mime to communicate something so essential visually that it kind of makes language irrelevant, that you don't need language, that you can communicate uh, a, a sort of experience that's beyond language. I think there's something interesting about that. And so it, I, I found it pretty exciting to, to see him talk about it. 
And to see him acted out a little bit yep. as well. Yeah. I mean, I guess I, I don't know anything about mime, right? So I feel like I'm, I'm really stumbling in the dark a little here. But hearing him describe basically the plot of one of those pieces that he did and it being kind of surreal, right? And, and strange. And it's something that, is, that, that you're coming up with in your brain as you're seeing him interpret these movements. You know, the idea of eating the heart and, you know, and eating the child's heart and then putting himself back into the child. That almost does really sound like a, a Jodorowsky piece, but except without any props, right? Just being done with the, the physical self. It is fascinating that, uh, that Jodorowsky's history goes back to such kind of a rich vein of artistry that I just don't understand. How about you, Julia? What did you think of Marceau in this film? What do you think about his kind of art form generally? So I think it was really fun to see him talk because I feel like you don't, that's his whole shtick, right? Is he doesn't talk. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's what? It's like, see, right? it's, like <laughs> it's like seeing Teller from Penn and Teller talking like, oh, it's weird. What are you doing? Why are you talking? Um, so it was, you know, it was, and he, he was very, very lyrical and beautiful and like just his, just his hand movements when he's talking, you know, look very uh, graceful. Um, and I think that, it, you know, I had always thought of Jodorowsky as a student of Marceau. But then, mm. they're, you know, when they're talking about this piece that they did together, he's talking about, oh, no, Jodorowsky told me not to do it this way. What if we do it this other way? So it's clearly like they're working together on it. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of fun. And it looked to me as if he was Jodorowsky was pushing Marceau in a darker direction that he probably wouldn't go on his own. So I think pushing him out of his comfort zone was probably very interesting for him to uh, experience as a mime. Really? That ex that shocked you? <laughs> mm -hmm. I love it because this is the most like punk rock anarchy version of his life and that gives me such joy uh that he's just like wants to fuck with the system and make people uncomfortable and i really i really really like that um i also like that he he says in here that he you know he was going to be an actor and he did all these plays he said 200 plays or whatever and i'm like eh, did you though i don't know um <laughs> i love i love it though like you know 
he's just lie to me. It's it's delicious. Make your make your film your life fabulous. Um, but then he says that he feels like actors are just parrots. He's like actors are just saying other people's words. I want to say my own words. I'm like, okay, respect. I get that. Um, and of course, we we watch some of this uh, panic play, which is just chaos, which I love. But he said that he wanted to do a play that would never be repeated. Like this is the only time you're going to see this performance. And I was like, that's awesome, though, that you just want to it's just here and now and gone. Although it's not because we have it on cinema. So it's there forever. <laughs> it is that sort of of mix. But I guess I mean, I don't know how many times he did that kind of performance. Theoretically, dozens, if not hundreds. And a lot of people who saw those performances probably saw something that would never be repeated again. I don't know where they got all the chickens. I mean, I thought you think you'd run out of them after <laughs> those poor chickens. Indeed. I don't mean to make light of it, but you're right. It is a very punk rock performance and it's also particularly notable coming out of you know hey again i don't want to be dismissive at all about mime but you know the idea of this play which is just a man on stage in in makeup you know being stuck in a cube and then getting out of the cube and eating you know something that isn't visual at all to something that is almost entirely visual and audio noise on top of it it's just such a such an interesting switch in terms of artistic direction. How about you, Liam? What did you think of this particular section of the documentary? Yeah, I mean, I I, I like Is the... it punk rock, Liam? Well, sure, whatever, that's fine. But for me... <laughs> what? I, it's so it's... dismissive. I mean, I, cause I, I, whatever, it doesn't matter. But the point is that, uh, that I, I do also really like the anarchy of it. Yes. I do kind of wonder, though, like, one of the things I appreciate about this documentary was seeing the kind of older... Uh, Yodorowsky talking about not being a guru and a leader and a whatever. That's right. mm-hmm. And so I think about, I wonder what the Yodorowsky on stage and those performances would have thought of where he ends up later, because it, while he is searching, there's still like, there's something about him that kind of commands people. Like they just respond to him. And even like watching these performances, I, I really think like, there's a sense in which he's expressing some very like strong will to get people to do these things. And so I just kind of find myself thinking about that. Like um, I wonder if he didn't become who he is, if this was the one thing he did, if I would think that was awesome or not. Like I wonder to what extent Mm -hmm. that I like where he's at now, if I would have found some of this stuff like interesting, like I still think this kind of performance art has possibilities that are interesting, but like, the level of who he's at. If I had an interview with him from that time and that was it, would I think it was as cool? I might not. Like I was watching it going like, man, it's, it's, there is an evolution here. Like, it's not like, you know, sometimes someone's story is they've kind of been this person forever. And when it comes to his creativity, that's true. But I think as a person, he's changed dramatically. And that a lot of his art has been about that change and I I kind of love that too. I love that evolution. And so I found myself thinking like, I don't know that if this was it, this would be my favorite part. You know, like the, I would be right. as invested as I am now, especially now 94-year-old. But even the, the Yodorowsky that's in this movie is to me a, a little more endearing than, than I think he would have been back then. Is it interesting to you, Liam, do you see a thorough line between that style of performance – 
and and what he was saying again about the the basically improv like an improvised performance and what he is later shown to do with the psychomagic sequence which is in itself a kind of performance right even though it's kind of a live interpretation you know he's moving people around it's still him kind of imposing his will on other people to a certain extent sure but it's it to me it's about the 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 performance on stage is about getting to some other kind of larger uh, truth through the chaos and that the chaos is a, a tool to kind of remove some of the illusion, keeping that truth away. Sure. And by the time he's doing the psycho magic, the, 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 there's an emptiness there. The whole point of the psycho magic is that these rituals matter for what they do to us psychologically, not for their content, you know, not for the thing themselves. So, uh, through the process of enacting these things, we're getting at something that, you know, you could get at through like therapy and psychoanalysis, but he's more physically manifesting them. And, you know, there's some assumptions in there that I kind of will get to that when we get to that section. Sure. Uh, but as far as the, the thing itself, it's similar methodolo- methodologically in that it's about embodying something in your physicality as well as in your mental and spirit. But it's different in that the, 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 ideal seems to be a lot less about some eternal universal truth that we're all going to find through something else, you know? And so I, I found that really interesting. Uh, but I do think there is a skepticism in both towards more established institutions that I think sort of runs through everything he does. Like part yeah. of the reason those panic things are so crazy is because he became skeptical of the institution of surrealism, right. which like I, I just think from a distance, it's hard for any of us to understand that there was an institutional rigidity to sure. surrealism, but I'm sure that was true. Like I'm not think, thinking he's wrong about that. It's just like it's hard to remember that any tr- any sort of new idea could eventually become reified into something that is – kind of wrote and 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 predictable and conservative right and that's what conservative he, that, yes. yes that's what his, his complaint was that it had become too conservative and that he wanted to break off into something else you're right that's a really interesting point and maybe you could interpret that that psychomagic is a similar kind of breaking off of traditional therapy to a certain extent um, but the panic like the panic movie is it, i like it because it it it's every like you're making the audience panic Right. And like you yourself are in this state of panic. Like the, yeah. it's like everybody is in a state of panic. And like that's not a comfortable state. Like if I was to ask you, like, are you comfortable when you're in panic? We're panicking. Nobody's comfortable panicking, right? So I think to like, and I, I guess there's filmmakers, someone like Harmony Corinne, who I don't like at all, but like his whole deal is like, he wants to make you as uncomfortable as possible. Sure. And I appreciate that he wants to do that, but I don't want to fucking sit through it. So I feel like this is the same, but I do want to sit through this, like this, because this feels so much more, uh, it's insane, but it feels like you're actually, uh, like going through there's a catharsis right you're getting to this other point at the end of it is what it feels like now you've already mentioned julia that you're you don't listen to a lot of of modern music uh, but do you listen to music say from the 1970s and 1980s oh are are you talking about uh, talking about a man may i speak the man's name (laughs) you can speak his name one of the other interviewees in this uh in this documentary mr peter brian gabriel that's right. <laughs> Are you a fan? Are you a fan of his work in Genesis or his solo work? Uh, yeah, solo stuff. You know, I was an MTV junkie growing up, sure. so you know, Sledgehammer is one of the coolest music videos ever. Uh, still, still, and so I always I knew him mainly from that, and then you know got to go backwards and see his other stuff, and I think he's he's really not somebody I would expect to be in 
this documentary. Uh, he seems to be like tangentially related. <laughs> and then you go, okay, you're just someone who likes Jodorowsky. And like, if you want to be in this documentary, I am. I am. But he does look quite uncomfortable. He does. The- he looks uncomfortable. And I think he feels, it, it seems he's somewhat restrained. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, that's definitely jumped out at me that, that I didn't feel like he was providing much insight into someone that obviously he did he does like the work of and in fact the fact that he mentioned specifically one of the more famous uh genesis albums genesis being a progressive rock band from the 1970s that later turned into a very mainstream rock band after peter peter gabriel left and uh, phil collins became their lead singer uh he was the drummer previously that, that the fact that it that jodorowsky directly influenced one of the more famous albums the lamb lies down on broadway i was like okay yeah d- dive into that tell us more about that all he says is that he influenced it. Barely says how he did at all. <laughs> it, is, mm-hmm. it feels like it's just scratching the surface. But I'm just, I'm exactly with you, Julia. It's like I was fascinated because I didn't know Peter Gabriel had any connection to Jodorowsky whatsoever. He, so give, he, us, I, give us more of that. They don't give really us more. even explain. Yeah. Like, what is it, really the deal? Um, yeah, it, so I don't know because I feel like when I see uh interviews that are really uncomfortable like that it's you know who knows what's going on with peter, peter gabriel that day maybe sure. he's having an off day maybe you know whatever but generally i feel like the filmmakers made them uncomfortable in some way like it's the interview and i'm i'm sorry i know we're talking about louis Mache, but like sometimes if the person's not comfortable it's because they're they've been made uncomfortable in that situation that filming situation so, it looked like he was being interviewed in his own kitchen too <laughs> yeah I, I th- it was definitely in his house but i was like so he should be even more comfortable in his own house but then they like put him in a weird corner and i got, i don't know what's going on in this interview it was very strange it's very strange but it, for me it was still very memorable simply because i i I'll just reveal here. I love Peter Gabriel. I love Genesis of that era as well. I find him fascinating as an individual. I've always had so much respect for his political work as well. I just, I just find him a really interesting guy, but I just wanted a lot more. Like, just tell me about your first meeting. Hey, I'll tell you what, you're making a documentary. Why don't you put Peter Gabriel and Jodorowsky in the same room? Have them have a conversation. That'd well, be- <laughs> I had that. I felt that with everything, right? Because I felt yeah. that with Marceau as well. It's like, have them like do talk about this thing they did together. I would rather see that. The most unbelievable one is that we never see Mobius in the same room. Well, we do actually see them in the same room, but not in an interview segment. But well, we'll get to that in just a moment as well. Liam, again, I know you're a punk rocker, so maybe you don't. Uh, uh, and of course, punk rock uh, came out of a, a response to progressive rock acts like Genesis. What do you think of Peter Gabriel? <laughs> uh, I love how weirdly sexual Sledgehammer is. And how I heard it in every doctor's office, but no one ever was like, hey, this is a weird song, huh? Like my whole life, I just, it never occurred to me to look at the lyrics to Yeah, and once I did, I was like, oh, it's about being a fuckboy. He just wants to come over and sledgehammer her. And I was like, oh. The good kind of fuckboy, not the bad kind of fuckboy. Yeah, yeah, fair, 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 fair. (laughs) But but yeah, yeah, I mean, just the, the, that was always fun for me. Other than that, I don't, it doesn't, it's, you know. He's a guy. Uh, there are songs he has that I like. There are songs that Shock are... the Monkey. Are you a big fan of that one? Yeah, I like that one. Uh, I'm kind of medium on Shock the Monkey, but uh, there's <laughs> there's some. Um... I bet Jodorowsky likes that one because of his love animals. <laughs> oh, <laughs> there's some too of soon, his... too soon. Yeah, sorry everybody. With, with Peter Gabriel, there's some of his um, B sides that I've heard other people put on playlists that I was like, oh, this is this is really interesting. So I've kind of had the thought that I need to go back to his solo stuff and do the full records because I, I really just know the singles, right? Like I don't, I've ne- it's never, I've never like put on a record and really like 
gotten to know that record. So sure. it's mm-hmm. possible that I could be a fan given time, especially lately, because I've, I have been listening to a lot more stuff from that era than I have previously. But but a, as far as historically, I only know the singles and, you know, they're good. I just don't really sure. care. In fact, I'm so detached. I don't I didn't notice that this was an uncomfortable interview. I he I, I don't know. I actually have no idea what you guys are talking about. Like, oh, wow. He just seemed like a famous guy don't all famous guys act that way what are we talking about I, nothing about him seemed different than any other famous person and i didn't no part of me thought to think about his emotional state during the interview in any way i agree that i wish there was more information there but i always assume when i watch documentaries like this they're always like hey some important guy likes this person so let's put him in the documentary and yeah. then they never have anything worth sharing like i'm always whenever that person is in the documentary this was also present in other documentaries we've talked about, uh, not everyone who is important is interesting in a documentary. And so for me, like, cool, Peter Gabriel likes him. I didn't, nothing Nothing he said was like essential documentary material, but I kind of assumed that. Uh, in fact, it would have been very exciting if there had been a cool story that I wasn't expecting, but I, it, nothing about it was like, uh, was a surprise to me. I kind of just didn't expect him to have much to share because sometimes we just include a name it seems like you just include a name in a documentary like this because it's interesting, but like sure, you yeah, know, like not people like he would have been person. the most famous person in this documentary. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I, I assume that was he's why. the only one speaking English. He's the only yeah, one also who's true. not also true. not French. So this seems like uh, it makes me feel like you got him in some weird way, and you're like, oh well, if we, yeah, if we got Peter Gabriel, that's great. We'll just go. I, do mean, I just don't understand. It's like it's like you like El Topo at the very least. You like El Topo and the Holy Mountain. What do you like about them? But there's none of that, right? He doesn't say what he likes about the movies. <laughs> no. Like, I just feel like with this, and no offense, like, I feel like instead, add in, like, like Brontus. You know, I love Brontus. Like, Brontus is, like, you see him fleetingly in this in this documentary. They don't ever talk to him. And I'm like, yeah. he's talked to him, man. Because you talk to, we'll get to in a minute, his trainer from Dune. <laughs> so, no, why? You don't want to talk to him about it, though? Well, that does bring us into the next section on Dune, and that is actually, there are two people who are interviewed about it, uh, outside of Jodorowsky himself, which is, of course, Mobius, uh, and that is that is one of the things that this documentary has, of course, that Jodorowsky's Dune doesn't have, because Mobius had passed away. Uh, you get to see Mobius not only talk about his work, but also to show off some of his drawing while he's doing it. I wish we had a little more footage of that as well. I mean, talk about a unique opportunity. And then we also get to hear from Jean-Pierre Vigneault, which, who, of course, trained Brontus for Dune, and uh, he appears in Jodorowsky's Dune, that documentary as well. We know that he had some difficulty recently, I think, with his dojo as well. He, I, There's only a little bit with Vigneault, so we'll talk about him in just a second, but I do want to focus a little time on uh, Mobius. Um, and he tells a really interesting story here about this psychomagic experience that he has. It's a little hard to piece together because at that point in the documentary – like we don't ha- we haven't really seen a lot of what this I- encompasses but he talks about this kind of shared therapeutic experience that he had with other people where they were like they envisioned some sort of sci-fi scenario where they were driving kind of a spaceship through space and they were kind of transcending time and space and then he says he has this great ending to it where he says and then Jodorowsky came in and said how thing how 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 was the experience and he was like fine you know, it's just we just fucking <laughs> traveled through the cosmos. We had this incredible experience, but I guess it, you know, for him it was Tuesday. Sticking with you for a second, Liam. What did you think of uh, Mobius, and what did you think of his relationship with Jodorowsky outside of their creative partnership? Because we also see him, of course, involved in the psychomagic stuff, and obviously he seems to have a lot of respect for for Jodorowsky as almost like a therapist. 
I mean, yeah, I mean, that's sort of the, the, he, it's, I'm trying to think of how to say this. It's like Jodorowsky, as he is seeking less to be a kind of guru, has become even more of a guru in a way. Yeah, like interesting. People sort of coming to him for insight. And I think that's very much part of, you know, what they are kind of doing together. But I, I mean, I also found it just as interesting him talking about the process of making that book with him and very working much on so. Dune. Yeah, yeah, like, because yeah. we had, we didn't really have a lot of that in the Dune documentary. And so that was interesting. Um, and just getting his, his viewpoint on him, um, considering that things later on became tense uh, uh, for various reasons. And so at this point, they seem pretty connected. So I really liked that aspect of it as well. But again, I, you know, I don't know if it's like the content of the questions or something, but this is another example of like, there's good stuff there, but I don't know that we get everything that would have been helpful for right. us to know about their sort of work together and even his perspective. But I, I think like a little more understanding about like what it is about the process that he thinks is, is, sure. is interesting would have been helpful just, just to understand it a little bit more, you know? And again, to have both of them available, at least to some capacity, I mean, they, it, it, I think they were both living in France at that time. Wouldn't it have been amazing to see them collaborating, you know, just to watch them work together in some small way? Maybe that it just wasn't possible. Again, I don't want to force uh, something into this. That it's like, wouldn't this be great? But it's just like they talk. We, we know that they were together. We see them together in it in terms of the psychomagic stuff. Just to have them talk for a minute and, and see a little bit more of that collaboration would have been so amazing to see because they have such clear mutual respect for each other. How about you, Julia? What did you think of uh, being able to see Mobius in this? And what did you think about their relationship? I think I think Mobius was adorable. He he's adorable. Like, That's yeah. actually a really good word to use. He's he's very cute in this, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he feels like all of these. Because what's interesting is I feel like all of these interviewees are are chef's kiss, right? Like all of them are great, and it feels like the documentary doesn't do it justice because it's done so low budget, you know, visually, but then also just as we've been saying, like you keep feeling like you're not getting the part of the interview that you want. Like it's just around the corner, but you're not quite there. Um, sure. But the, with this one, I feel like with, you know, we got that story out of Mobis, which was fantastic. Um, my favorite part was where he was talking about the costumes for the Harkonnens and Joe Rasky <laughs> came in and just poked a, picked a book randomly yes. off the shelf and picked a page randomly and pointed and was like, like this. And the, the he was so shocked that you would just fleetingly like this is part of the genius you're just like i don't know like that and then just like okay and that's how it is now it does come down to i mean that's a great example of something that i always worry about when it comes to people who have a little bit of madness in their creativity which is that from mobius perspective he was like when he was talking about he's like it's genius because we just needed a jumping off point it could be anything. He pointed randomly, and then we built upon that, and we got to where we wanted to go. But someone else looking at it might be like, what are you doing? <laughs> That's not a helpful thing to start with. But obviously, it was right for their collaboration. And I mean, they had, they obviously, I mean, their work together speaks for itself. And in fact, on our next episode, not to jump too far ahead, we're going to be looking at another collaboration between Mobius and uh, Jodorowsky, which I'm very curious about. This one's a little more controversial than the ones we've talked about so far. But I'm glad that you brought up that he... He really, he brings a, because he looks like a normal guy to a certain extent, even though he's one of the most talented um, artists that have ever lived, that he brings kind of this kind of wholesomeness, but also normalness, normalcy, I should say, to what is 
you know, especially the psychomagic part, a really wild idea, something that's very hard to describe to someone, which is, again, maybe why I keep going back to it, because for me, this is my first experience kind of seeing it in action. But uh, yeah, Mobius, amazing. Uh, any other thoughts on Mobius in this, uh, Julia? Let's move on. Let's move on to Jean-Pierre Vigneault. Again, uh, there's not much here with him, but it it does give us a little bit more insight into the relationship between him and Jodorowsky than we really got in Jodorowsky's Dune. Quite rightly, we just knew him as kind of a participant and obviously have had a longstanding relationship. But he does talk a little about how the psychomagic therapy has helped him directly and specifically about how he used to be a very angry person and maybe a person who kind of lashed out. But Jodorowsky told him that, you know, that's his work. For a living, he trains people to be violent. And he's, you know, that's what he gets paid to do. So if he goes out and is violent and angry in person, just in his everyday life, then he's giving away his work for free. And that is what convinced him not to be angry or violent. And he also talks about how it's like he never considered writing a book. And Jodorowsky's like, write a book. And so he wrote a book. In fact, if you look on the show notes here, we have the uh, cover of his book, uh, which he's looking quite... Uh, Yes, he's sporting a pretty amazing mustache. Yes. <laughs> Over the, the, the karate kicks reflected in the aviators. <laughs> it's, it's, it's It's incredible. Uh, Liam, what, what did you think of uh, this section with Jean-Pierre Vigneault here? I mean, I found it um, strangely endearing because I, I wasn't expecting what it was going to be about. Uh, and then I just was like, what is – I?" it was a surprise, <laughs> but in a way that was like very fun. And the very idea that, like, I just needed to write my memoir to get it out there, and now yeah. I can move on with my life. I'm like, yo, man, save. I'm going to start tomorrow. <laughs> like, that's such a great thing. I don't know. I just there, – there was something about it that I liked, even if, you know, this – there's something about this gentleman that is, like, so intense. I was kind of surprised by a little bit. Sure. But I like the idea that whatever is going on in this psychomagic thing, that it – did something in his life. I really appreciated that too, you know. Jodorowsky rejecting the idea of being a guru, but still being seen as a teacher by these different very personalities, even one as strong as this gentleman here, is something that I find very interesting, right? I mean, it is one of the almost unnerving parts of this is how many of these people kind of come off as disciples as opposed to, you know, they talk about him as if they helped it's not not like that he was they were part of their creative process or they helped them in some direct way. It was, you know, uh, they changed. He changed my life in a pretty significant manner. This in is ways what that... I want. Have I not yeah. made this clear? I would <laughs> like Jodorowsky to give me the instructions to turn my life into. Like he would. I'm. I'm. I. I need it. I would be his disciple any goddamn day of the week. Well, I mean, I guess we we then can move on to what is the largest part of this documentary, which is the exhibition of psychomagic. Now, throughout the documentary, we get to see. I guess once a week. During this time period in his life, Jodorowsky was going out and doing a talk, right, a lecture, and he, he, he could see he's being kind of funny with it and telling, uh, you know, reading from from books, uh, giving a lot of knowledge to people who are kind of around him in a circle, and then he does this kind of exhibition of this style of therapy. And again, I don't know much about Psychomagic at this point. It is something we're going to dive into in some detail going forward. But it really is a form of physical therapy where people come up and he talks them through you know, whatever they're currently struggling with. And in this particular case, he brings up the director who is at that point filming from behind a camera. He tells him to come up in front of everybody and they work through an issue that he has in terms of his relationship with his father, the poet, as we mentioned earlier. 
And what he then does, Jodorowsky instructs him to instructs him to pick people out of the audience to then represent his father and his mother, his grandfather, his grandmother, and it be and it, then we see what it is like in action. It is odd. It's very strange. It's not like the, I mean I've done therapy uh, throughout my life, and I've I've always found it very useful. But this is a style of therapy that I do not have any connection with whatsoever. We started this conversation, um, Julia, with you suggesting that you have some reservations in terms of how the director um, inserted himself into this work. Do you want to talk about that in regards to this last section? I do. I uh, So this section started and I was like, all right, it's interesting to see him in the, in the class and stuff. And sure. it kept going for so long and I couldn't <laughs> believe it felt like we got so much more of the director in this movie than anybody else. And I'm, I appreciate like, do I want to be the person in the center of that Joe Rowski class where he's going through my family stuff? 100%. Sure. But to have this be so long and it felt, I kept being like, there's so much else I know was on the cutting room floor that I would love to see more than this. And I'm happy that he helped you through your family stuff and maybe show us a little bit, but you don't need to show us the whole thing. And so I kept getting like angrier and angrier the longer it went on. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? And then it just ended after that. And I was like, what? Really? The big end to your movie is your fucking family problems. I'm sorry, that's not cool. It, it particularly because you you get the impression that when he was planning this documentary, that that was not going to be part of it, right? It does feel off the cuff that he was drawn into this. But and then we see, by the way, that one of the things that Jodorowsky suggests is to take one of his father's books of poetry and to burn it, and then the documentary basically ends with him burning that book of poetry. I mean, right. It, so he makes it all about him. But it's not, you know, and like the psychomagic stuff is really interesting. But I felt like if you're going to make it about psychomagic, make it about psychomagic, because that's one part of Jodorowsky's talents. But to like just kind of breezily skip through all his films to just get to this weird 20 minute bit about your family. It, it, uh, mm. it would even have did been you different. Not, if... Did you did you boys not feel that way? No, I I felt I was wrapped up in the idea of something that I had no familiarity with, right? Just seeing this in action. So I was glad that there was an example of it that I could see and see it, you know, in a, in a big enough chunk that I get an idea of exactly how it works. Sure. The fact that suddenly the director is a major part of his documentary only in the final 20 minutes, that was, was what was kind of weird to me. It's like, well, why don't you bring yourself into it earlier so it doesn't feel so out of place? But then again, I could see... I can see how that might have been difficult as well, but it's uh, but it's like it, one of the things that in out of print that I I regret is like I feel like I'm in my film too much, and I feel like it makes me feel a little bit strange, and I'm like I this is a take like that taken to the X level where right. you yeah you either put yourself in it as you're like a character in the story, or you don't put in that much. Like I, it was interesting seeing it. I'm like that cool to see it in action. Just trim it down though. Yeah, it's almost like we do see Jodorowsky do some tarot in this as well, though it doesn't go into much detail on his tarot work. But it, it's almost like ending your documentary. It's like if um, if Jodorowsky's Dune ended with Frank's own tarot reading and just like a whole 20-minute yeah. segment on him having his tarot read. Uh-huh. <laughs> Liam, what did you think of this segment? I'm kind of torn. I'm 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 a little less bummed on it, I think, than you are, Julia. Though I will say, at base, I didn't like the fact that it's it feels completely unedited, which I'm sure to him was in was like an important detail in that 
he wants us to see what it was actually like. But I found it to be weird to spend that much time on it when it, it isn't necessary. I think we can have the impact of it without seeing it in basically real time. You know, like it's it's just and especially because it's it's not uh, completely unedited. It's not like a, it's uh, the whole thing on its own. It, there is some editing going on. And I think that there's a lot of it that is sort of there interacting around it. But like, it's not all necessary to understand what's happening. So I'm kind of between like, I, I agree, Doug, I, I wanted to see something like this. I, I like that. And I understand that um, the point of the movie seems to be the impact Yodorowsky has on the people around him, hence the title. The consolation is all the other people around him and the ways that they are connected through him. Right. And I don't think that just learning more about him was entirely what this guy kind of wanted. And I think that the way it ends is supposed to be a, sh- a showing of that, that even in making this movie, this man's life has been impacted somehow. Right. I just think as on a pure technical level – it's really does it work? It really, I mean, the movie already has a lot of editing decisions that to me feel very 90s. And, and just the whole thing is like a episode of a bad sort of PBS show or something. Sure. But like this ending part, I don't mind how focused on the director it is. The, 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 I don't know if I would call it ego, but the, this focusing on him part of it doesn't bum me out that much. It's the link that bumps me out because. I agree basically with the central point of what Julia's saying. This could have been more time having Yodorowsky talk about something else. And I think that was my frustration. If this was a movie where I felt like we already got a lot more of Yodorowsky talking, or for that example, or or on the other hand, rather, other people talking, then I wouldn't have minded a little bit of indulgence on this end. But it's so long to just make the point that like I too was affected that I'm like, Mm. you could cut this down and we'd still get the gist and you could still end on this point you want to make and there'd be more time for other stuff. So I I don't know. I I think for me, like I didn't like it as an ending though. I did appreciate getting to see some of it working out. I got to say though, for me, what I found more upsetting that I don't know how it was for either of you is that like, uh, Jodorowsky's too much of a gender essentialist for me. That's what I was thinking about the whole time, not how self-indulgent of an ending this was, though I did think that. But, like, this isn't just about the archetype of the father and mother. He's very invested in the father and mother as very essential uh, types that I think is a bit problematized in our modern genocide against trans people world that we live in. So that part kind of bummed me out, and I don't think it's a long-term thing. Like, I bet he feels differently now uh, talking to him about some of that stuff as the world is sort of adjusting to that. But just as a document, I find myself uh, less confused by the psychomagic stuff and really being affected by it. Like really thinking like, oh, I get what he's going for here. And I do think there's a lot of stuff we carry with us from families. I mean, that's already been shown in some of the genetic stuff, right? That trauma that happens to your great grandparents is observable in your bodily makeup that we can look at your makeup as a human and see things that happen to people long dead who you never knew. That's yeah, interesting. Generational trauma. And yeah, like yeah. That, that yeah. stuff is like scientific. So the fact that he's exploring 
the seeds of that psychologically and spiritually, that's all very interesting to me. I just found myself a little distracted with some of the ways he was describing the gender dynamics as being just a little too essential, where they're, you know, obviously a little more culturally conditioned. And so that that kind of was the one part that I was focusing on more. But uh, but I got to say, like, though I think I was a little less angry about it than Julia was, it is a very strange way to end the documentary for so long. I think it, it just felt like, hey, man, like you could have done so many other things here. And again, uh, you know, maybe not. Maybe he doesn't have that footage. But assuming that Julia's right and that Jodorowsky is talking to him as much as he was talking to Pavich and other interviews we've seen, put some more Jodorowsky in there, man, and just make this. This could have been like three minutes of footage for us to understand. Hey, I did one of these sessions. It really affected me. We talked about my dad. He asked me to do this thing and burn the book of poetry. And I fucking did it, man. And now that's like a thing, but it just, it, it becomes a whole production. And I, I felt like that part of it, the length of it is more what upset me than ending on him. You know, I'm sure we're going to get, I mean, we will get more opportunities to talk about these actual methods that Jodorowsky uses. Right. Which I don't know that I fully understand. Either. The, the, I don't again, want to suggest I, I, I get it. You know, he's written several books. Obviously he's still writing another one uh, right now about yeah, it. Yeah. And it, I think it's, you know, with like with his tarot work, it's hard to know how much we're able to grasp, though. Again, he's doing I've it as read, a performance. I've, I've read a few, and I and I can tell you that they're just as the way you feel about watching this this performance, if you will, this therapist. It's like that, but weirder. <laughs> I mean, that's what I would figure, right? And in some ways, that's kind of what I want. But I also, I have to say, my only current uh, concern regarding. Jodorowsky as any sort of therapist is just the idea that we're dealing with people who might have real significant issues that go beyond just, you know, familial relationships and things like that, which is not to discount the importance of those. But like, you know, you, he could hit on something that maybe he is not in any way trained to necessarily handle. And maybe that kind of th therapy could be dangerous or, or hurtful to a certain person. Maybe I'm getting ridiculous here because obviously he's devoted a huge chunk of his life to it and continues to, to this day. And maybe these concerns will be quelled once I learn a little bit more about it, but it was something that I was thinking about. I was also thinking about the opening uh, scene of the brood where Oliver Reed has that uh, a similar sort of therapy session with someone. And that is presented as kind of a dangerous, hurtful thing as well, though I didn't see any sores uh, spontaneously erupting out of these people's bodies necessarily. I think <laughs> going back to what you were saying, Liam, he should have just released this entire lecture slash therapy session as its own thing that to me is fascinating an evening with Alejandro Jodorowsky and then do a separate documentary about him right it did yeah. seem like it was just separate from what the story was up to that point but I also know and I'm sure Julia knows this more than almost anybody because she's actually made a documentary just that sometimes things go in directions that you're not expecting and you want to follow you know the Wait. interesting what you see as the most interesting material sure just, and it, there's a Sorry. Please, yeah. No, please. There's a, but there's a lot of documentaries that do that. And I think that can work really well. And one that I'm thinking of is Exit to the Gift Shop, which you have. It was supposed to be about Banksy, but then sure. it actually turned out to be about Mr. Brainwash, right? Which is this mm -hmm. fascinating turn of events. And you're like, yeah, oh, this is great. But for this to this wasn't that right this wasn't a thing where like oh because that is the fascinating thing about documentaries because it is made in the editing room because you do leave room for you don't know what people yeah, are going to say yeah, right so yeah. it can go in any direction so i know that that documentaries are made in the editing room and i feel like this is 
poorly choice of of editing poorly choice of of footage i i guarantee you there is a good movie in here and this is not not that it's not bad it just feels like a missed opportunity and it makes me frustrated well i mean on a technical level i think some of the music choices are straight up bad like just yeah, jarring agreed. awful fucking techno and then even some of the editing around that stuff is just like why are we doing this this way so i do think there's some technical limitations regardless but I got to agree with you, Julia, that the, the choices are in the editing. Like I get like, hey, I filmed this thing and it's really interesting. Let's watch it later and see if it can go in the movie. And then I just think you've already made – so there are decisions being made, as you've pointed out, Julia, oftentimes in just putting the movie together. You're making, uh, uh, not to be redundant, but editorial decisions that are – they're weighted. They're value judgments that you're making. So the idea that he had this footage and for whatever reason he didn't want to mess... Like, like I, I almost suspect that he wants us to feel like this footage is somehow so important that he couldn't mess with it. He couldn't alter it. He couldn't change it. And that's dishonest about the rest of the fucking movie. Like, you've made decisions the whole goddamn movie. Here's another <laughs> time for you to decide, oh wait, people don't want to sit through this shit right now. Let me let me get to the point of what why this was important without burdening the whole fucking movie with it. And it just was like, again, I don't think the whole movie really works, so it didn't like surprise me per se, but I do <laughs> think that the the idea, I mean, personally, I'll say what I was thinking really was the ending where he burns the thing because Jodo told him to, I actually think that moment could have been awesome, but you are so stuck in this hell. I shouldn't say hell, but this long terminal thing of this session that is not to me edited enough that by the time I got to the, him burning the poetry book, it was kind of like, yeah, I get it. It meant something to you, you know, something happened there. I get it. But it just felt like, I had been so invested previous to that 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 moment was robbed of whatever it could have held. Whereas if the movie in a different movie, I think that could have meant something. It could have been like you, like some of those documentaries that you brought up, Julia, of like, this is a moment where suddenly the documentarian is present in a personal way, but it doesn't disrupt the movie itself. It actually adds weight to the movie. And I think that was the move. That's what he was trying to do. And it did not. The landing was not stuck in any way, yeah. shape, or form. It comes off like I did what Jodorowsky told me to do. As you know, I, I didn't, he doesn't even push back a little, which is some. I know that sounds strange, but in the context of it, you know, he's really being kind of commanded around a little, and it it, it makes it feels like he becomes kind of subservient to Jodorowsky. I will do want to mention, by the way, that a when disciple, they do that, one might say, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, absolutely. But but I don't. It's one of the issues I have when we hear Nicholas. When Reffin talk about Jodorowsky, right, where he, just, he seems so desperate to be his disciple that it kind of makes it feel a little pandering. But I do want to mention that during the Psychomagic segment, uh, when the director is asked to choose someone to be his father, he actually chooses Mobius. So Mobius is up there with him during that time period, uh, during this kind of uh, performance, which is which is interesting. And it kind of reinforces that constellation aspect as well, the connections between everyone. But wouldn't it have been even more interesting if every one of the the uh, the oh. documentary participants were in that audience at that particular time. I just look, hey, I, maybe th most likely that would be impossible, especially when you have a famous musician and the most famous mime <laughs> to ever live all in, in, in terms of it. But to me, that would kind of reinforce that constellation idea in a way that would have been really interesting. But I think end. that that moment was really instructive because uh, Mobius is in a very essential way too good a person to be involved in this process. And the fact that it's in front of a camera sort of alters it because he Mobius can't help but hug this man. 
He just yeah. can't help himself because from what I can tell from just a little bit we're seeing in this movie, Mobius is a good human who loves people and he wants to like reach out to this person and cause some sort of healing. And Jodorowsky's so fucking pissed because he's like, that's right. No, he's that's not what easy. would happen. But yeah, right? because that's not the, it's it's an easy solution to this problem. And it's not the actual he's not his actual his actual father. But also he might be asking too much of our man Mobius to be like, turn off your emotions and just be. <laughs> Right. In this, of course, he's going to hug this guy. Like I would. I mean, I, I. This is what I would do. I would be a terrible participant if he had been like Liam, come and be the dad. In that moment, I'm fucking hugging him too, man. I'm doing the hug. But when he said it, that's too easy, and it doesn't get at the real thing. I think he's right. Actually, I think that that's yeah. true. And the difference here is because it's based in a visual performance. It's a very physical interaction, and the ritual part is like now do a physical activity that will lead to this. Uh, what previously would have called a spiritual change, but we could name it a psychological change if we want, but it'll lead to maybe a helpful release. That's the part that feels very ritual and thus very magical about what they're doing. But Mm -hmm. when he says like that forgiveness is too easy and it doesn't really represent the depth of your resentment, uh, that's what a therapist would say. I'm sorry. I, I was watching that going like, he can't let that stand because if this was real therapy, no therapist would let that go. That's not real. That, that wasn't a real thing. And he did. And I thought, okay, I, I think he has a good sense. I got to say though, Doug, for me, this really does work only as a kind of like, uh, a kind of like a, 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 a different version of like a religious practice. So right. one of the things in this country, which isn't true in every country, but it is true in this country. And I don't think it's enforced enough is that religious leaders are supposed to be able to refer people to psychological help when they need it. They're supposed to be able to recognize the limits of their abilities and the limits of their scope and say, hey, you need to talk to a professional about this. Now, we can all guess how likely that is to actually work out in the real world. But as someone who's been through this training, that's part of your training at most schools is knowing who to refer people to when they have actual issues. I would want to know that's part of this too, that if someone has something going on that feels more chronic or more uh, uh, pathological and they might need something else besides this lecture that he's conducting, I would want to feel like they were referred to. Because if if that's the case, then I don't see how this is different than any youth group, any fucking gathering, any yoga class. It just like, felt like a like an acting class. Like yeah, an like acting a dramatic class. improv yes. class. Absolutely. Yeah, with yes. like a so I so like for me I don't there is that kind of therapeutical aspect and I know that's what psychomagic is about, but it's also okay, you go to a master acting class with uh Mark Rylance or whoever, right? And he yeah. does these things and it's he's taking someone backwards on stage and like you would go and you would watch and it would be this kind of educational academic thing. But I don't think anybody thinks that's going to heal them right it does in in a theatrical way but i like i I don't know do you feel like that he actually came away a changed man is that i mean i know that that's what the burning of the book is supposed to represent but do you was that for the film or was that something that it really broke i think i think it's because of how people talk about jodorowsky and and the fact that they have such reverence for him that it kind of transcends the idea of teacher student to like yeah, and particularly because a lot of even though he he kind of rejects the idea of him being a mystic or even the religious practices of mystics, that you know he he obviously has a lot of knowledge about that kind of thing, and and quotes from mystics when he's talking about maybe mystics isn't the right word, and I apologize if I'm using the wrong one, but certainly spiritual thinkers. And the mystics of the world are coming for you, man. You know yeah, they maybe don't appreciate so, right? being used in that sentence that way. <laughs> but I do think that because of of the way that some people. DFI isn't the right word, but certainly hold him up 
as someone with this uh, uh, essential knowledge that maybe they could see it as therapy, even if that's not what his Im- intention is. Though I do think, you know, when when I mean, you know what, I'm going to hold off on any more opinions on this simply because we're going to investigate it. We're going to find out more about it. And I don't want to say something that's going to be make myself look foolish a little bit later on. But I will say that it was fascinating to look at in the context of this documentary. I have reservations about the idea of it, but maybe those reservations will will show themselves to be silly a little bit later on. Hmm. Let us let us collect our final thoughts on the Jodorowsky constellation. Feels like we all have kind of mixed feelings on it. I do think it is still it has some really important footage from an era of Jodorowsky that there doesn't seem to be a lot out there. Not a lot. I mean, he was doing a lot of writing, but certainly not a lot of, of material on video. Uh, and of course, I think we all agree that it's always amazing to see him talk, even if it's about his work, even if it's about his life at that time. It's, it's just a fascinating person to see discuss all of these uh, subject matter. So uh, starting with you, Julia, any final thoughts on the Jodorowsky constellation? I really enjoyed the conversation and the what of what Jodorowsky said. There's a lot of what he said in this document that were really surprising to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he said some of the favorites I wrote down. Um, he said he still considers himself an adolescent, which right. was really surprising. He said that um, he's like a gambler who enjoys playing games and he finds a, a, an attractiveness to things he doesn't understand. Um, and I think that that's something like and I think there was um another thing about Jodorowsky we had been talking about where he said that he wants to challenge himself. Like, how can I challenge myself today? And I, that's something that is such a heroic way to start your day. That's pretty daunting that I feel like something, there's so much strength in being able to wake up and be like, I'm going to challenge myself today. I'm going to do something different. That's going to be uncomfortable today. Um, and it's something that I feel like I don't, you know, I wish I could do. And I like, I now I'm like trying to, ch- I mean, no one can live up to Jodo, but like me trying, that's like such an inspirational thing to be like, he's trying so hard to embrace the entire world. And most people are kind of uncomfortable find you know with things that they don't understand and to to embrace it i think is really great you know i liked him talking about the rainbow thief uh, you know briefly and tusk sure. and how these were like humble fail you know but wonderful failures that these things led on to and i think you know hearing him talk about being on the rainbow thief and he's like i used to be like the dictator on the set and now i'm no one i'm just the puppet that does what you told me to do and and we've talked about how that's we all know that's not the role for jodorowsky um but i think that for him to look back in this and and to not just say something negative, but be okay. I learned what it was like to do that, and I know I don't want to. Right? Like I think that was a, so. There's interesting tidbits of what he said, but there's just not enough of it. Liam, how about yourself? Any final thoughts on the Jodorowsky constellation? Well, I'm, I, oh we, yes. Well, we've all been kind of hard on it. I will, uh, while still praising certain aspects of it. I want to throw one thing out in its defense, which is how many documentaries were there about him prior to this? Right. Right. Like uh, there was that the one thing we watched, it was about his films. Right. But I don't know that anything prior to this had really gotten to, into his life in the depth that this one does. So maybe there's a sense in which this gentleman felt like he's the first and he doesn't need to give us more because he's already giving us more than is available anywhere else. But right. Absolutely. In 2023, it's not sufficient. And that might be unfair. Maybe that's because now we have so much more of him that we don't appreciate what what is sort of given to us here because we know that there could be more sort of put into the movie and the movie could be structured more around him sharing. So I want to acknowledge that maybe that's part of what's going on. But I can't ignore the fact that 
while again I didn't I didn't find it to be a, a waste of my time or anything like that. I just felt like there's there's more that could have been in this. I certainly felt like on a technical level it wasn't put together very well. Uh, but I did appreciate, as Julie already said, some of the insights into Yodorowsky's talking about where he was at when this was made, how he was viewing himself, uh, it, his spirituality, the idea of enlightenment. I mean, when he talked about, you know, uh, 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 you know, enlightenment is being human, like you are just lucky to be human, like that in and of itself was meaningful to me. So, yes, there's some limitations here, and I don't know that if you are a casual fan who just likes a show. I don't know that you got to watch this. This isn't a much watch, I don't think. But for most people who listen to the show, they probably are also kind of obsessive a little bit, maybe the way sure. we are. You got if, if you care that much, suffer through this the way that we did. Oh. And, and, just, and just know going in that it's like, it's not perfect, right? But it's not terrible either. It's just, it's limited. And, I, and there are some decisions made that I think were not the right decisions on a personal level. I would not have made those decisions, but there's some great content here as well. So I don't think it's a total waste of time. I just think that for the casual fan, I wouldn't recommend this at all just because I don't think it's super well done. And I think what you do get, you can get other places. Uh, not all of it, but some of it you can get other places. So, But you if know, you're it, completest nerds like us. Yes, then you really got to. <laughs> if, if, you are, if you are as intense about this as we are – I, it doesn't matter what the fuck I say. You're going to go watch it regardless. Yeah. So I don't even know why I'm, I'm saying it. I think it's on Amazon Prime or something. Yeah, so. I think you're right. I think it's on Amazon Prime as well. I think you said it a little bit earlier. And the very fact that it is available also uh, on that Fundo Elise uh, release. Right, yes. It, it, it works as a companion piece, right? It is. If you want a little bit more, if you've seen something and want to see more, this works as a good companion piece to Jodorowsky's Dune or that Jonathan Ross piece. It gives you more. It's more Jodorowsky. He says some really wild things in it, some really fun quotes. You know, he, he he is who we have seen him be in all of these other interviews. And it does give, you know, I'm glad that we've seen the psychomagic demonstration, even if it wasn't the most satisfying thing to watch in the context of the uh, of the uh, documentary as a whole. So we get to see Mobius. We get to see Marcel Marceau. We get to see all of these wonderful speakers speak about him reverently, but also, you know, in... in, in uh, in ways that are very revealing. I think it's very worthwhile for the kind of person who would listen to a podcast like this, even if they weren't necessarily a completist. I do think that there's still value there. And it, it makes me very curious, which is great, going forward, to investigate more about this era of Jodorowsky, more about this development of this technique. Uh, I, I still come at it with a certain level of skepticism, as I would, I think, anyone who... who, uh, who, who has that level of control over other people. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe that is not part of it. Maybe that's just something I interpreted from what we're seeing here. But it makes me very curious to go forward with it. And I can't wait to see what's next. And speaking of what's next, on the next episode of Jodowowski, we're going back to comic books, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. Yay. Throughout the 1990s, uh, outside of these lectures, outside of uh, the books that he was writing, Jodorowsky continued to collaborate with a number of wonderful artists on comic work. On the next episode, we're going to be uh, looking at three examples from the 1990s. The first being uh, his, his collaboration with Francois Boucault called Moonface from the year 1992. Then back with Mobius again with Angel Claws from uh, 1994. And then we're going to finish off with Son of the Gun 
from 1995. Uh, this is with Jorge Bess once again, who, of course, we've seen previously as well. That one is described as a modern-day spiritual Western by the same creative team behind The White Llama. Uh, so, you know, Jodorowsky working in that Western environment. I'm, and we've already, of course, also read uh, the El Topo comic, which we need to see if, if, if that's coming together with its sequel as well. Uh, yeah, I'm curious about all three of these works. My understanding, I have referenced it a little bit earlier, that this Mobius work, Angel Claws, is uh, it's an erotic work, which I don't oh. know how that's going to be. The comic book's always kind of erotic, though. Like I think about the Incal and, and Metaparents, there's nudity all over the place. Oh, absolutely. I think this one, because it's specifically about a, a woman looking for sexual awakening, that it might be a little bit more explicit okay. than the okay. what we've covered awesome. so far. Uh, I can't so wait we'll- to talk to you guys about that. <laughs> 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 That's going to be great. Yeah, we are completists, if nothing else. So we'll see how that goes. It, it's going to be a very a diverse selection of work. And I'm very curious and very excited to check it out and talk about it with my two collaborators here on Joe Dawowski. Speaking of those collaborators, Julia Marchesi, thank you so much for talking about a documentary that you did not enjoy to any great extent. No, I always feel bad when I don't like a movie. And I always try to like really uh, give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But every once in a while, I just go, no, it's just not. It's just clearly just not very well made. So apologies to the filmmaker. But yeah. Um, So if you would like to listen to my other podcast, which is Horror Movie Survival Guide, Mm -hmm. uh, we are all over the place. And um, my film, I Know What You Need, which is the Stephen King adaptation is still in consideration for festivals. So uh, updates will be coming for that. Uh, and then also very exciting. I just horror movie survival guide was just actually do uh, so, some film selections for arrow videos player service. Yeah. So you can go on there and see the top 10 movies from me on there and uh, watch some movies that I recommend. If you could only pick one to recommend, what would it be? Uh, well, the not the top spot that for Terry, both Terry and I, my, my co-host for Horror Movie Survival Guide, uh, was the Deeper You Dig, which is made by uh, the Adams family, not the Adams family, but <laughs> actually, they're actually their their last name is actually Adams, um, and they are a family that make movies together. So uh, it's mom, dad, two uh, daughters, and their movies are incredible. They do everything themselves, everything. It's just self-contained within the family, uh, and their films are really, really wonderful. So I, I wonder, uh, I do the DPU dig was the number one for both of us so highly awesome. recommended absolutely amazing uh by the way both liam and myself appeared on the horror movie survival guide if you want a little more insight into our own relationship and how you know our background in podcast we also talked about a wonderful movie bob clark's uh death dream which is also getting a big uh, blu-ray release coming up as well uh lots of connections a lot of we have our own little constellation here on the <laughs> podcast but you can check that out as well. Liam O'Donnell, you're a busy man, as per usual. Uh, what have you been up to? Where can people find your work? Uh, what's going on? Well, of course, I would always ask everyone to head on over to roughcutfanclub.com just to see whatever uh, new stuff we have out. As of right now, we don't have a, an order up as recording this, but chances are by the time this comes out, we'll have something new up. So check it out, roughcutfanclub.com. Um, if Folks want to hear more of Cinema Smorgasbord as well as a whole family of podcasts. They can head to cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X.com. 
where we have the latest episodes of a bunch of different shows, as well as some writing and some merch that people can order, all kinds of stuff over there. Uh, if folks want to dive into the archive of this show, uh, as well as a bunch of shows, uh, they can head to cinemasmorgasbord.com, uh, where you can search by topic, whether it's more Jodorowsky or uh, <laughs> podcasts covering Carol Kane or uh, genre Miller. festivals. Dick, Dick Miller. Miller. That's right. Uh, 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 yeah. George Kennedy. You know, lots of stuff. So uh, cinemasmorgasbord.com. <laughs> on social media, Cinepunks is C-I-N-E-P-O-N-X on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Cinema Smorgasbord is on Twitter at Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can also find Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R U L Z. And I'm on there as well at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T I L L E Y. But for now, we need to say goodnight to Alejandro Jodorowsky. We're going to be back soon with three amazing, I hope, comics work. I expect them to be quite uh, interesting. Uh, and we're going to have, of course, all the latest Alejandro Jodorowsky news then as well. Until then, we will say goodnight. I'm gonna do